So as we sit here on the first morning of 2024, Sunday morning, um, I just want to start by celebrating and talking about the greatest love that we have ever encountered, the greatest love that God has ever shown to human beings, to us. And we're going to start uh, 2024 with communion. And uh, the reason why I want to start with communion is because I think there's some really powerful things that can shift the way we receive the rest of this morning, even the rest of this year, as we take part in the acts of communion. Um, the first thing that uh, we are invited to do in communion is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to human beings, which is confession. Confession is such a gift because it allows us to take things that we have carried with us for months, years, days, hours, that burden us, that we, are, that we know are broken, that we know are signs of, of our failures, and it allows us to lay them before God. And it allows us to stop carrying those things anymore. Confession allows us to come and just stand before God that we know will accept us because of what his word tells us about him. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it encourages us to go before God with confidence. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about how because we have had such a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who went before us and lived as a man but didn't sin, let us then approach the throne of God with confidence and ask him for grace and mercy in our time of need. And so right now, we're going to take communion and I'm going to invite you to start with confession. I'm going to invite you to take the elements in your hand, and as you go back to your seat and you wait, we'll take all the elements together. Or if you feel maybe now's the time for you to kneel before God, bow before Him, and confess and stop carrying the things that maybe you carried into this morning and to be released from them, knowing that you are forgiven. I love some other passages that just talk about the process of communion. John 13, 15 says, No greater love than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. Romans 5, 8 says, For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to invite us in the next few minutes to come forward, maybe to kneel, to confess, receive the gift of confession. And then we'll take communion together and then move in to receiving the love of God.
Paul talks to us in 1 Corinthians and walks us through this process of taking communion that has been done for thousands of years. And it's something that we get to participate in that is happening all over the world this morning where people are identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus and they are remembering the cost of it. And that his body was broken for us. And that his blood was spilt for us. And so let's join with the rest of the followers of Jesus and let's remember the ones who have done it in the past and the ones who will do it in the future to celebrate this holy moment. Paul says, For I pass on to you that which I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. He then broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as oft as you drink of it. I want you guys to take a deep breath. Whatever you brought in is forgiven. It's gone. He keeps no record of wrongs. So whatever you might have thought would be keeping you from God's love is no longer keeping you from God's love. Who made a New Year's resolution this year? A few people? They're getting less and less, right? Um, so I wanna, I wanna help us out in this process, and I want, as a church, to make a New Year's resolution all together, right now, in this very moment. Who's on board? Who's nervous about what I'm about to say? Yeah, okay. So, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be easy, it's gonna be accomplishable, and we're gonna start it and finish it in the next hour. Sound good? Okay. So our New Year's resolution that we are taking on together is to memorize a verse together by the end of the church service. Okay? Not too hard. You guys got this. And I'm going to help you out. We have motions and everything. All right? So if you want to stand up, if it helps get the blood flowing, you can. You don't have to. But if you can, stand up right now. And we are going to say this verse. We have some uh, hand signals. So it's pretty simple. It's, I'll just read it, and then we'll read it together, and then we'll do it with the signals. Got it? So I'll read it. It says, as we live in God, our love becomes more perfect. Okay? Now we're going to read it together. As we live in God, our love becomes more perfect. Now, this is what will cement it, okay? So, as we, so point to the person next to you, me, you, him, she, as we, okay, got it? Hey, I see some of you just staring at me. You're not going to remember it. <laughs> as we, okay, live. Think about what you do for a living. No, no, don't follow my note. This is up to you. You have... <laughs> I can have some fun with that. Um, as we live, think about something that you do every day. You could be driving, it could be eating, it could be pounding nails. So think about what you do as you live. It could be like chasing kids, like whatever it is, as you live. So everyone, think about your living 
situation, and you're gonna do it in three, two, one, as you live. So I'm gonna be reading, maybe doing some cooking, right? Because it's not limited, it's our life, it's everything. As we live, okay, so as we think about your thing, I'm gonna cook, live in God. So my tempted to be like in God, but God's not up there. Where is God? He's everywhere, right? So as we, I'm cooking, live in God, he's everywhere, right? Then it says like, it's kind of nice because then we can go back to this because it says our, so our love becomes more perfect. Chef's kiss, right? So as we live in God, our love becomes more perfect. Okay, we'll revisit it. You guys did great. I think you got it. Sit down. We'll move on from here. Imagine if this was our mantra as a church this year. That as we live in God, he makes our love more perfect. He makes it more perfect by displaying it to us, and he makes it more perfect in helping us to display it to others. That would be a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to kind of talk about how this happens, because it doesn't just happen, does it? Our love just doesn't become more perfect, and we don't just live in God. There has to be a process into how it happens. And I want to do it by talking about the disciples. I was thinking about the disciples and how they started and how they finished and how a lot changed in the in-between. And does anyone know the first command that Jesus gave his disciples? He saw them out in the boat, and he said what? Follow me. As a simple command. It wasn't complex, and it didn't ask, actually, it really didn't ask a whole lot other than just check me in, follow me, just watch what I'm doing. And then he gives another command. He says a new command. And this command was given the last day, uh, his last meal with his disciples before he died. He says, a new command I give you. And this one is a little more complex. The second command was love each other as I have loved you. So we have, it starts with follow me and it ends with love each other. I wanna talk about the in-between. How did the disciples get from following Jesus to loving each other? I think for all of us, our relationship with God and Christianity starts with just following Jesus. And you just, okay, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna check you. I'm gonna see like what you're all about. I, I, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to think. I'm just gonna start by following you. And as the disciples did this, I think they started to realize and see some things that made them willing to follow him. Because here's the thing is that as the disciples followed him, they were exposed to something that changed them. I just wanna encourage you in this fact. You don't have the power to change yourself. Who's tried? Who's found nominal success only to see it not stick, <laughs> right? We need a power to act upon us to change us. And that is exactly what Jesus offered. As the disciples followed Jesus, they experienced the most powerful, life-transforming, world-altering, hope-giving, forgiveness-enabling, depression-fighting, sadness-sharing, relation-restoring, shame-killing, sin-forgiving, death-beating power, perfectly embodied in the one that called them to follow him. This was the very essence of Jesus, and it is who God is, right? What is it? What is it? Yes, it's volé. You are correct. 
Who said love? Who thought love in your head or said it out loud? I heard a couple loves. You're right. But the problem is that the word love has lost its effectiveness in our life. Do you agree? If the thing that changed the disciples is also what I describe, what I say when I describe how I feel about tacos, there's like, a, there's a problem, right? If love changed everything in the disciples' lives, and I also love tacos, we've lost some effectiveness in the word. So I made up a word just for this morning, and it's volé. Say volé. Okay? So the reason I did this is because we need to rethink about what love actually is. We need a new, we need to shake up our brain, and so I'm gonna sprinkle volet in and out of our morning, and I'm talking about love, so I'm just helping you connect dots. But um, I, I, I want to change what we believe and see that God wants to offer us. And I don't want it to get confused with bad versions of love that have been developed in our mind over the years. Does that make sense? So here's the first thing I've noticed when I thought about the disciples' journey with Jesus. Vole, it takes time. It's a process. It's a journey. It doesn't just happen. It's something that we have to enter into this process with. And so I was thinking about the disciples and their journey with Jesus, and they were exposed to things about Jesus that were unique to Jesus, that they had never seen before. You see, Jesus was asking them to move from follow me to love each other as I have loved you. And they had to understand, like, well, what does that actually look like? So here's some of the things that Jesus, that the disciples noticed about Jesus, is they noticed, number one, that, that he was patient. He was patient. He answered question upon question. He welcomed children into his presence with their curiosity and their quirkiness. He explained stories that people had a hard time understanding. He was so patient. He was also kind. He accepted the rejected. He wept with the weeping. He sought out the forgotten. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He welcomed the masses. And he personalized the demonized. He was kind. They had never seen anything like it. And Jesus had power. He commanded the wind and the waves. He multiplied food and drink. He made demons shudder and flee, and he rendered death impotent. The disciples were exposed to something otherworldly. Jesus was brilliant. He silenced the brilliant minds of the day. He spoke in ways no one had ever heard. He connected the physical and spiritual world with complete knowledge and depth. He was brilliant. And finally, they discovered that Jesus, yes, Jesus loved them. He sought them out. He didn't reject them when they rejected him. He cared for their families. He knew their thoughts and minds. He knew their weaknesses and failures. And he still loved them. They were changed by their time with Jesus. That's what changed them. The disciples were a lot like you and me, honestly. Um, they had lived hard lives. They had had a lot of difficulties, been involved in a lot of mistreatment, had made a lot of bad decisions, had been used and abused. In fact, um, their lives probably looked a lot like this pot. So this was a pot that uh, I got about uh, three weeks ago. Someone was getting rid of some stuff, and this came across. Uh, they're all, hey, you like to cook? Do you want this? And I said, definitely. I definitely want 
this pot. Do you know why? Because I looked at the bottom, and it had two words in French that I don't know what they mean, but I know it means it's a good pot. <laughs> Le Creuset. I saw that pot, I'm all, this pot is valuable. This pot is one of the best cooking tools that you can have in a kitchen. This pot has been used and abused. It had, how many things had to overflow and then burn pond and for it to look like that? So I want to tell, let you know that this pot, I had been scrubbing it for over 20 minutes already. And I finally discovered it was red. I had no clue what color it was, and I'm scrubbing, I'm scrubbing them all. What color is it? What's going on? And I was like, and then, and I started to think, this is, this is going to be exhausting. Is it going to be worth it? And in reality, our lives are a lot like this pot. We have a lot of things that have not gone right, and we've been stained, and we have character traits that have cemented themselves into us. And we work super hard to get rid of them and with limited success. And we're like, would anyone want me? Am I valuable? Do I even want to know what's underneath? I've become so used to the black I don't even know if I want to know what's underneath. Because what if it's not good? And the disciples had these moments as they were walking with Jesus, and they're like, why us? Why me? Like, I don't know what's going on. How, how, did, how, how are you going to, what are you going to do? How can we be leaders? I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a task, I'm a rebel. I'm trying to, turn over the government and failing miserably, how are we going to be the ones that change the world? And God says, I have a way. And it has very little to do with you and has a lot to do with me. I am going to love you. And my love is going to change things. So I'm working on this pot, I'm cleaning it. I'm reading all these articles, right? Soak it in, you know, like baking soda and lemon juice overnight. Like add, you know, white vinegar and like da-da-da-da. I'm just doing one thing after another after another and I'm just so tired. I'm like, is it, I'm just gonna, is it worth it? I'm not gonna do it. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I wonder. And I didn't read this and I looked all over for it and no one has posted this on the internet. I might be the first to post this on the internet. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, I just bought this weird pumice stone. If you don't know what pumice stone is, like lava rock. And I bought this pumice stone and I bought it to clean my toilet because <laughs> it gets rid of hard water stains. And this pumice stone, it looks like this. And it's really rough and it's really hard. And it feels like it's gonna scratch everything it touches. But the only way it doesn't scratch things is if the material that you are pushing it against is harder than it. And so that's why it doesn't scratch porcelain, because porcelain is really hard for your toilet. And I'm all, the outside of this Le Creuset pot is really hard. And I'm like, could it be? And so I'm like, okay, I gotta just do it on a little section because I don't wanna ruin it. And I started doing it, and within a matter of seconds, everything started to change. And I worked on it for about 15 minutes. Right? Right? And I'm like, it's beautiful. Mike's got a hand clap for cleaning a pot. That's great. And I'm just like, I'm so glad that no one knew about this because imagine if someone showed up with like three Le Creuset pots to give away and they all look like that. Everyone would be like, oh, I want it, I want it, I want it. And the thing is, is that 
God sees past. He sees past everything that you think makes you undesirable. And he says, I, I want to expose how beautiful you are. actually have, Levi, could you bring it up real quick? You can hand it to me right here. They'll put the stone in it too. Nice. So I have, this is not mine. This, there was two of these pots that were given to us and I gave one to Erin home and I told her about the pumice and she cleaned it and it's amazing, but I want to talk about the love of God. Because this pumice stone, and the way that God's love works, may not, it, it may not operate like you think it should. Because what do we want? We want to sit under the gentle flow of God's love and have it wash everything away. Doesn't that sound nice? It's kind of like just dying in your sleep. Sounds great. The reality is it probably won't maybe happen that way? Like, and the reality is that God's love and the way it exposes and fixes and changes us is a much more... grinding affair. I need water. It's right there. But, and as we started to scrape and we scrape and we scrape... Thanks, buddy. We discovered, Aaron and I, that um, it's not an easy, slow process. It's actually a difficult process that takes time, and it takes, sorry, Eric. <laughs> it takes effort. It takes exposure. It takes vulnerability, but you can immediately start to see just the change. And the result of God's love acting on our lives, it changes us. And as you live in God, our love becomes more perfect. All right? See if you guys can say it. Ready? I'm going to change it. Go. As we live in God, our love becomes more perfect. And here's the thing about this pot is we worked on it a lot, but it's not perfect. That still needs work. And there are certain dents that will never come out. And that's okay. Because God says one day, everything will be made new. And that day will come, and you and I get to be a part of it, because we're followers of Jesus, and we will be made new. But in this life, we can start to experience the transformation of his love, if and as we live in God. The second thing I noticed is that not only did it take time for the disciples to experience this, three years, um, his love for them was also personal. Volé is personal. Over and over again, we saw how Jesus met people personally. In John chapter 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well, his message was for her. It was for her. In John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha were grieving the death of their brother, he treated them differently, giving them what they needed. With one, he wept. With the other, he gave words, helping her to understand that things were not as she thought they would be. 
And Zacchaeus, when he was up in the tree in Luke 19, Jesus spotted him says, I see you, Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house to stay. <laughs> That's a weird song. Like, the, he didn't stay that long. Um, saw Zacchaeus. Peter walking on water. Matthew 14. That was for him and Peter to have this moment to build the trust. Nathaniel was sitting underneath a fig tree having an existential crisis, and God saw him under it and said, I saw you under the fig tree. The bleeding woman who had been ostracized touched the edge of his robe, and he healed her and he called her daughter and was for her. The rich young ruler heard a message that he needed to hear for his life and his point in time and his moment. God's volet is personal, and it's for you. In 1984, I started to become a follower of Jesus. Five years old, just read a Bible story. I think it was about Moses talking with my mom. I didn't read it. She read it to me. And I decided at that moment I wanted to be a follower of Jesus. And over the next 10 years, I followed Jesus. I discovered lots of things about him. I discovered lots of information about him. I started to believe, oh, maybe I can trust, maybe I can trust this guy. I don't know. Like, like, and I learned, I learned, I learned. I followed him and I learned. But then in 1995, I had a moment. I was at a ski trip. A guy named Eric Faust, who was my small group leader here in high school, was giving a talk. I don't remember anything about it. But in the middle of it, they had this moment where you closed your eyes, and he asked you just to, like, just sit with your eyes closed. And I had what I would call a vision. And it was like this stormy, black night, and it was the cross. And there's, like, thunder and lightning and rain, and it started to like move in and move in, move in on Jesus' face and there's just blood and the crown of thorns and it was all on his face. And then he pulled away his face like a mask and it was me. It was the first time I realized that God, that Jesus died for me. And I didn't ask for it. Honestly, I didn't know quite what to do with it. But it was this moment. It was for me. 1999, I moved to London to wait tables <laughs> with some friends, which is a weird thing to do. And I'm living in London. I'm working at this place called the Chicago Rib Shack, of all places, right? It's great. Um, and uh, I worked in this restaurant, and it was filled with people from all over the world. We had South Af people from South Africa, people from New Zealand, people from Australia, people from Ghana and Nigeria, people from Kosovo, people from just all over the world, Ireland, Scotland, England, everything in between. And none of them could care less about God or Jesus. It wasn't that they were anti-God. They just didn't even consider him. It wasn't even on their radar. And I remember at that moment, God, I mean, that, that, those four months I worked there, God, God taught me something that I had yet to understand. Because I was well on my way to becoming a little Pharisee of treating people based upon how they thought about God and their morality. And God, over and over and over and over again, says, Tim, I love these people. I love them. I love all of them. And I know they don't love me. And they might not ever. But I love them. It was this huge 
existential shift in my life and how I viewed people. Because I didn't see people for what they could be. I saw that they were people that God created in his image that he loved, no matter what. And it changed. I was never the same. In 2010, I feel like, as I've already been a pastor for eight years, I finally understood the gospel for the first time. Which is a weird thing to say. I started to understand that the gospel is not just meant to save. It is also the thing that changes people. Because I knew the gospel had saved me. The good news of Jesus saved me. His love saved me. But I somewhere deep in the back of my head thought it was up to me to change me. That I needed to get my stuff together, that I needed to work harder, that I needed to be more disciplined, that I needed to. I'm reading this little devotional on Galatians by Tim Keller. And the gospel hit me like it never had. You see, God has a love, a volet for you, and it's yours. It's your story. And you get to have your moments with him. And I just want to encourage you, be looking for the moments where God shows you his special love for you. Because it's true, God did so love the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But God also knows you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. And he has yet to reject you. Finally, Volet, love, it needs a source. It is not something that you can conjure up. It is not something that you can, with great fortitude and will, make happen. You cannot force your way into it, and you cannot gather it and find it. It has to come from somewhere. I think this is such a temptation for us to not sit and try to think about, I need to find the source of love. Because honestly, like most of the time, I'm just like, okay, Tim, even like during confession, like when we were doing it, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, Tim, you need to love your family better than you do. You need to make some, you need to change, you need, like I went to my, my little hamster wheel, right, of oh, I need, to, I need to change this. I need to figure this. I need to change this. Instead of being like, I need to go to the source of love. And I need, to, I need to sit in it and let it cover me and fill me so that when I'm out there, because I'm connected to the source, I will be able to offer love because it's readily available because I'm in it. And the source of love for you and I, is the Spirit of God that he has given to us. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2 that they were actually able to start to love those around them. They had been with Jesus every day for three years, and it wasn't enough. I'm like, if I could be with Jesus for one day, I would be changed forever. They've been with him for three years and it wasn't enough until the Holy Spirit came upon them, filled them, changed them from the inside, and gave them the love to offer those around them. And when you think about that and you understand that, this verse makes so much sense. This is a beautiful prayer that Paul prays for 
the people of Ephesus. And it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, this is talking about God, that he will empower you with inner strength through what? Through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Our roots will grow into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just a beautiful understanding that through the Spirit of God, I can start to understand the depth of love that he has for me. I can start to trust it. I can start to allow him to use whatever means he sees necessary to rid myself of the stains and pain from my past and to reveal the beauty that lies underneath. That this year could be a year where God moves in such a way. So, I want to remind you a couple things. That love takes time. Volet takes time. Volet is personal, it's for you. And it needs a source, and that source is the Holy Spirit. I want to close with a picture that I took while I was studying for this message, and it was really encouraging to me. This uh, is a window at Earth Cafe. I'm sitting in the corner, and I'm looking out the window, and I could barely see through it. And I could kind of make out what was happening on the other side, but not really. And here's why it was encouraging to me. I felt like God said to me, Tim, um, a couple of years ago, you didn't even know there was a window because it was, you were so blinded and unable to see through all the things that had plastered themselves on your life, whether by decisions you made or things that people did to you. You were so covered that you didn't even know that there was a window here. But look where you're at now. And I was so encouraged because even though it's not perfectly clear and I can't see what's on the other side and totally make out everything, I can see something. I can make out shapes. The light can come. I can be worn by the sun through it. I'm not where I was. And I think we often get frustrated because things aren't perfect quickly. But maybe what God has for us is a slow journey of understanding his love. And as we do, it cleans us slowly and allows us to see slightly better. And I'm hoping that by 2025, I'll be able to see a little bit more clearly because I understand God's love a little bit more. And when we take time to do this, it allows us to see how, in the broader picture, people like John could write this verse. John started with, follow me. That's where John started. Follow me. Then he got another one, love each other as I have loved you. Then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then he wrote this. And it says, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. 
God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Can we say this together? And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. You were handed a sheet of paper when you walked in. If you weren't, there's some in the lobby. And it's a prayer guide to help you in your journey. I just want to really encourage you to take some time in the next month before February to journey through this prayer guide, to ask God, how have you been loving me? To ask yourself, how have I been loving you? How can I step into practices where I hear your voice? How can I maybe invite you to do some work on me in ways that are scary, even if the sound feels like it's going to do more damage than good? Maybe, ultimately, God does know what he's doing. And maybe he can help you to discover how beautiful you really are, how valuable you really are, and what a gift you are to this world. So in the next few minutes, I want to start this journey for you by giving you time, time to reflect and to think about two things. One, how has God been loving you? How has God been loving you? How has he loved you this year? How has he loved you this week? How has he loved you in the last hour? And I also want to invite you, how have you been loving him? Because here's the thing, is that if the goal is ultimately discipleship, it's as simple as offering to others that which you have received. But if you don't know what you've received, you have very little to offer. But if you know what you've received, you have so much to offer. So in the next few minutes, contemplate and ask God, what have I received? What do I need? Tell him things you need. Maybe express to him some love. And then we'll go into worship. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're kind and patient with us. I thank you that you saw the individuals in the Bible, that you see the individuals in this room. I ask that you would continue to allow us to walk in a way that, that leads us into these moments, in these moments where we see you clearly and we let you change us. Thank you for the cross. I thank you even more for the empty tomb. And we serve a living God who continues to love us to this day. And we pray this in Jesus. Amen.